Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, good morning New Zealand. 9.03 here on SENZ as we uh, get the next three hours full of content for you, which includes netball, motor racing, uh, tertiary sport, university sport, uh, a panel with Andrew Gordy and Guy Havelt, uh, rugby, rugby, we head down to uh, Canterbury country for that, uh, and a little bit of humour to finish off the morning, plus all your texts and calls, uh, as we want you to be very much part of the show this Wednesday morning. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, if you're into sailing, you probably know back in 1851, a few dudes and a few boats sailed around the Isle of Wight for a trophy known as the RYS 100-pound cup. The winning yacht was a schooner called America, owned by a syndicate of members from the New York Yacht Club. The cup was donated permanently to the New York Yacht Club by that syndicate under a deed of gift that renamed the trophy America's Cup after the winning boat and required it to be made available for perpetual international competition. Seemed pretty simple and clear-cut at the time, so why is it the most argued about maligned competition in world sport? That deed of gift has had more perusal than the good book itself and many more visits to all sorts of judiciary rooms. Barely have we finished celebrating the success of the last retention, and here we go again arguing and publicly debating where we're going to have the next one. Of no debate is that there is always some seriously big players involved here with seriously deep pockets, which guarantees the surfacing of some seriously big egos. From Lipton to Connor to Bond to Allison to Bertarelli to Dalton Aeol, you can add a new name, Dunphy to the list. This latest bid seems destined for the ocean floor, though, if you believe that Mr Dalton declares Mr Dunphy and his associates have zero trust. Trust. Now there's a word not heard too often about this great event, yet I'll bet it was prominent in the thoughts of those dudes who designed that deed of gift around 170 years ago. And here's a thought, a really stupid one. Take a pay cut, fellas, trim those expenses, reduce those egos in debate and compete in the spirit the original race around the Isle of Wight was all about. Don't be ugly caretakers, get it back out in the Hauraki. And why is it, why is it that it costs so bloody much anyway for this competition, when the two most important ingredients are the wind and the ocean? And last time I looked, they were pretty damn cheap. 
So 88 33 whatever you are you say it, it's the same number. Uh, 0800 150 811. You can text us uh, on the America's Cup. You had enough? Had enough of this arguing? Let's just get on with it. Let's go back to, to boats where uh, actually you, you, well, you know, take a couple of big sheets off the bed, sew them together, stick them up on a mast and let the wind take over. I mean, you know, that's what basically it used to be about. But oh, I, I, it's frustrating. Story after story. And, and every time you read a story, it's about someone disagreeing with somebody. You know, it's a great event. I mean, people love it once it gets going, but why all the palaver and the rigmarole trying to get through to that point? John, you're a sporting journalist. I mean, you are a sporting journalist. You've, I imagine you've covered some of this stuff over the years and interviewed a lot of people, but it, it just seems so difficult for something that ends up being so special. No, oh, hallelujah. Praise the sermon this morning, Smithy. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that's what's turned me off the America's Cup. Uh, some people get off on it. Like they reckon the best part of the the America's Cup is off the uh, water. It's all this bickering, you know, the Dennis Connor, that kind of classic stuff back in the day. And yeah, it just grows tiresome, though. I reckon Smithy, 30, 40 years of it, uh, and just the boats. They're not they not even sailing boats anymore. I completely agree. Like I used to love seeing uh, the big sail puff out. You know. Uh, bring up the spinnaker and just watch it puff out. Um, but now they're mm. yeah, up on foils, racing around like race cars. And I don't, I don't know whether it is sailing anymore. Smithy, I'd like to go um, back to the roots, like you were saying in the sermon. The spirit of the America's Cup, of the competition, goes way back to those days where it was simple as just some dudes on a boat. I couldn't agree more, Smithy. And I've fallen in, uh, out of love with the America's Cup, absolutely, um, to the point where... I don't really want it to be in New Zealand because it's just takes up so much of our time and all the bickering and all the egos. It's just ridiculous. I mean, this isn't Team New Zealand, is it? This is sponsors, sponsors galore and who can pay the most money to host this uh, sporting event, which was once great and pure, uh, not so pure anymore, Smithy, and a lot of bickering. Stop using that word. People will suspect that you're getting sponsored by somebody. Here's the other thing, John. Here's the other thing, during the coverage, and I watched all the races because it is, it's quite riveting once it actually gets going. Uh, and of course it's New Zealand involved, so you, you like to be there and you like to support, you like to see a bit of history unfold. But uh, how often in the last coverage did you hear the word sail mentioned? It was always foil. It was nothing about sails. Foil, foil, foil. Yep. Uh, and oh, no, that's, it's a foreign language and that's what people don't understand. Yeah, and they have to get experts to explain what foiling is pretty much every day, Smithy. It's pretty obvious what wind and sails are, isn't it? Like, why why don't they keep it simple? Well, I mean, that's the essence of the Olympics, isn't it? You know, we've just seen an Olympic campaign from the New Zealand yachting team. It wasn't ultra successful, perhaps not up to their uh, usual standards and expectations, but it was still about the basic boats uh, and the sails and, and, you know, and the wind. And reading the wind, getting your boat into the right situation and get into the other end as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, and, and what, we had cyclores? So we, we didn't even have uh, grinders a couple of America's Cups ago. We had dudes on bikes yeah. on boats, Smithy. So where do you draw yeah. the line? You know, do, do we get rocket ships out there and get NASA involved and have them planing along the water? You know, where, where do you stop and where do you actually start going, hey, are we still sailing here? Um, you know, Burling and Chuk, it must be pretty exciting being on a boat that goes that fast and everything, but they're sailors, you know? Like, wouldn't they want to be lifting sails and working with other sailors, not cyclers and rowers and all these other people? I don't know. The future of the America's Cup is a really interesting one for me, Smithy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is amazing. So, 
uh, let's just hope it's sorted out. Uh, and I, it, it's a, I mean, I, I can't understand how you can't have that event in Auckland, to be fair. I, I, it's just too much too much money involved for me, um, and, and it just it grubbies the whole thing. But uh, let's, let's get away from uh, the America's Cup and money. Uh, and I'm pleased to say we're going to a sport which is not governed by it, uh, you know, to that extent. And it's just uh, plain old simple netball played in the highest possible standard and fashion available. And uh, Dame Nolene Tarua has uh, joined us this morning uh, on the morning of Game 2 between uh, the Silver Ferns and the English Rose tonight. So uh, good morning to you, Dame Nolene. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, and uh, our sport would definitely like a little bit more money, but uh, I think we're probably in the same boat, but so cool to be out there, number two, so looking forward to it tonight. Look, it was only this time last week, you didn't even know what your squad was, your eventual squad was going to look like. How, how far down the track, just going back to, say, even last Thursday or Friday, had your planning gone to playing without the Auckland Four? Oh, look, um, it went to actually uh, the day after. Um, we've had a lot of plans on the trot um, since going into lockdown, obviously with England coming over here in, in that sort of space of time as well and whether we were able to actually get out on court and if they were going to come. So um, we've sort of been probably through maybe four or five plans um, with them and then obviously around the lockdown in the Aucklanders. So... We've sort of done as best as we can. We have gone through contingencies and um, strengthened our squad with more numbers, and now we're sort of OTT on the numbers, so we've gone from one extreme to the other. Um, but now, you know, if we can settle a wee bit today, have, get, get a bit of the cobwebs out that we did in the first game, then hopefully we can improve for tonight's match. As you headed into Game 1, how, how far behind did you feel in terms of preparation with not having access to those players? Yeah, look, we could do so much um, on Zoom um, and it's always, as you know, sort of around strategy is getting out on court, getting the feel. I also want to do things a wee bit differently, so, you know, and not just be the same as we were last time when we played Australia, just sort of not only keep the opposition guessing, but ourselves guessing and making sure that we keep improving. So majority of everything that we've done is probably about maybe 50% different from what we've done in the past. Um, so to embed that, it does take time. But I can only commend really the players and what they've done. Physically, they've come in really well. Um, it's just that ability when we're under um, pressure, what we do with the ball and the final execution. And of course, that ability to be able to ride um, bodies as well. So we're missing that element. But overall, not too bad. Um, I'd say we're probably about a 70% um, of where mm. we could be or should be. But, um, you know, that's doing the job at the moment. OK, let's look at uh, a couple of the individuals who, who, invo who were involved, of course, uh, there was a nice romantic uh, tale about uh, Tiana Matura because uh, mum and dad were in the grandstand, one of the, the lucky few that were allowed to be there. 17 out of 19, outstanding uh, impression I would imagine she made on you for that performance. Yeah, look, I, I was happy for her and obviously she comes from a, a stock or breed of, of netball legends being Waimatama, so there's always that expectation that comes with her anyway, but... She's quite a confident young woman and uh, very sure of herself. Um, 
And I think for her to be able to back up and just get out there, I think is a testament really to what she has, not necessarily potential because I think she showed that, but her, um, I suppose, to become world class. So um, I think that's really exciting for her. And, you know, like like always, it's interesting whether she can back up and do it again. Um, and if she can, that's, 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 we're heading in the right direction. Well, your name, Gina uh, Crampton, of course, is your captain. And then, of course, she's one of the Auckland Four. She can't get to be hands-on with her squad either. Um, tell us uh, about uh, the impression that she made going into camp so late and her style of leadership on the court. Yeah, look, um, both her and Sulu are new. They've been in our leadership group, and especially um, Gina, she was part of the World Cup and the, you know, the the starting seven um, in that last game. So she has been under great leadership and um, prior to this space of time, both her, Amelia Ann and also Jane, um, who's not with us at the moment, have formed quite a good group. So, you know, she's taken on the mantle and just unfortunately she's come in to some degree um, a bit undercooked because of being in lockdown for five weeks and unfortunately once again um, tonight she won't be able to take the court because she's got a bit of an adductor strain so we're getting her ready for game three um, but I think she adds a different style and uh, her, her own flavour and still learning the position I think sometimes it's easier to be not the second person, but, you know, not the front person. So she's got to learn that and get her voice going. Um, but, you know, she's moving in the right direction. And and I think the good thing, once again, is when you bring somebody new and they have the opportunity to fill a role, then we look at things differently. Um, and I think that's what we need to do. We can't be complacent and we need new ideas. So she's certainly bringing that to the mix. You said 70%, which is, um, you know, you're acceptable, found acceptable. Of course, the scoreline was acceptable. Uh, this is not uh, an easy time, an easy series for coaches because you don't have a lot of time to work on um, things that you're not too happy about. What, what are the 30% things that you'll be looking for improvement in tonight? Yeah, look, I still feel we had a lot of ball um, and we, weren't, we, we just coughed it up. Basically, so the the ball that our defence ended getting um, ended up getting, we need to take it down to the other end. It's not necessarily as simple as that, but um, I think we became a bit standoffish and our connections weren't that good. So there's more to be had in regards to opportunities to take to post. I think also just position wise in our defence end, we got a bit caught out and and. Um, not connected to each other, so ended up working alone. But when we are tight as a tight four, we actually do create um, opportunities for each other, um, and it's harder to see where the ball needs to play, be placed. But I think the final thing is, you know, England are going to come out kicking, um, and you know they showed probably their physical uh, dominance over us at, at certain times in Test one. Um, and we've got to be prepared for that, not necessarily to counteract it, but really to play our explosive game and to get off the body. So um, we've got a few more people that I'm looking forward to getting out there today that I know they're going to add their own swagger. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be cool and I can't wait to see them out there. So we can expect um, changes uh, throughout the 12 then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we've got the likes of a Grace um, Nuike who, her and Peter, 
um, had a great season with Mystics, who won the domestic competition. So they're rolling in, and also Kate Heffernan. It's her her first time as well. So out of these, um, out of this England series, if I can get um, as many people out on court, providing they're ready, um, that's a good tick uh, as we build sort of towards Commonwealth Games. But uh, we don't know when we're going to have other tests, so we've got to make sure mm. that we use these opportunities now. What's the, what's the plan for the day then? I mean, we often ask the All Blacks and, and the cricketers, etc., what they do uh, on the morning of or the day of. Uh, what about your squad? What do you like to, to see them doing in preparation for tonight's, uh, t- tonight's start time? Yeah, look, we, we pull off on game day um, from the from the coaching staff. It's sort of nearly a handover last night. We always have our last team meeting uh, just to make sure that we're clear on what we need to do. Um, and then this morning we go to Captain's Run and pretty much, uh, well, in this instance, Sulu will pick it up since uh, Gina won't be on. Um, and they do the final just preparation, making sure everything's uh, everybody understands what's required. Usually shooters go to the post and then, you know, as much as they can, they chill. Um, but as for us, you know, we, we sort of chill as well from the coaching staff, but have a wee nap in the afternoon because we pretty much work until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning So and then get up for 7 for our um, one-on-ones tomorrow morning. So this is our time to relax and, and we sort of start to fill in from game time onwards. Great time of uncertainty around world sport and, uh, of course, netball is, uh, is far from unaffected by that as well. Uh, so, in a, in, a, in a good world, look, looking forward, what, what do you see on the radar? Yeah, I know. It's such a, um interesting question in itself, and it, it changes all the time. And um, it's sort of, I suppose, you know, that's why we're so grateful to have this series now, because, honestly, we've had plans go... <laughs> Plans galore and, and, and never seems to eventuate because of what's happening, not only in New Zealand or the government regulations or overseas. Um, and we do quite a lot of work in regards to just the risk analysis of safety and, and health and wellbeing in, in, you know, in these current um, times. So if, if things were going tickety-boo, we would uh, head over to England in January um, we're supposed to have also a Constellation Cup against Australia at the end of the season as well. Um, have ANZ uh, next year, and then that would lead us into the Commonwealth Games end of July, August. So um, that's the intention at this stage, um, but no, definitely that things can change, and we've just got to be smart as to how we could work uh, different internal competitions to make sure that we're ticking over. Just, uh, just finally, we've we've had uh, Amelia and Ekinasio and Kayla Johnson on the on the show on separate occasions, both expressing the hunger to get back into top level netball. Uh, you, that must excite you about that kind of depth and the possibility of having your of having your hands back on that to add to the depth of the squad. Quite a healthy situation, I would imagine. Oh my gosh! If you think about, I mean, I think like two years ago when we've gone a series where we've had only three in both ends on our bookends because we just haven't had enough players. Um, this year we've got uh, heaps of um, middies, and, which we always have, and we've got a great um, group of shooters coming through, both experienced but new 
new blood as well. And with the likes, as you mentioned, of we've got, you know, a group of ladies who have either been injured and coming back um, next year or, or just, you know, having babies. So we're really excited. I think, you know, with this current crop at the moment and playing England in our current situation, we know we've got more upside. Um, with people coming in and, you know, now we've just got to work them in. But um, it, it puts us in good, I suppose, good health in netball at the moment and, and hopefully we can manage it through. Dame Nolene, thank you always uh, for making yourself uh, available to the station. Uh, you've been great. Uh, good luck tonight in Game 2. Let's hope it goes well. You can get that tiny Jamison uh, trophy back in the cabinet. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Nolene Tauror, of course, um, inspirational coach, and uh, she has got everything, uh, her ducks in a row. She knows exactly what she's all about. Netball is in great stead with her at the helm, and those numbers coming back uh, make it even more encouraging. 9.23 here on SENZ. Dead. A couple of texts coming in uh, about uh, the America's Cup. Uh, 8833 is our number. I'm sure you've got opinions on it. Does it get to you? Um, have you had enough of it? Or does it excite you? And does it add to it all the drama that happens uh, off the water? Falling boats fit into a TV schedule. Remember the old days being a full day of coverage, Kevin? Uh, Yes, I do. I I do remember it being a full day's coverage, an event, rather than uh, two races that were over in the space of, uh, what, an hour, both races, and that's their continual time. Uh, Yeah, uh, it's all about speed today. Uh, I mean, sport is a lot about speed, getting it over and done with quickly so we can move on to the next thing. And, Maybe uh, they are a victim of that, but I, for one, quite liked uh, the intrigue of how um, a race could change shape so often, depending on uh, the breeze and the changes in the breeze, how they used to look down the course to a large degree and forecast uh, you know, what was about to happen so they could plan for that. Uh, that was the intricate side of it, and, and it was so well described as, uh, when we were watching it. We sort of felt like we knew what was going on. And now it just uh, it's all about the foils and what's happened in terms of uh, the lab, laboratory work, uh, you know, and, and the, the cost of those things involved. And then, uh, you know, the true sailing capacity or, and the true sailing knowledge is, uh, of the old school, is, is that gone? Is it gone for good? Uh, and Sean of Christchurch, uh, very much in the same boat saying, and that's a bad pun, uh, it's all, it all seems to be about <coughs> that dirty word money. So, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so being... Um, uh, been a, an interesting sort of start to the day. And uh, the news coming out, of, of course, of the, the Silver Ferns camp that we just got it hot off the press from Dame Nolene that uh, Gina Crampton has an injury problem, um, a knee, and, and therefore is that uh, she will not be captaining uh, them tonight. Um, so uh, Sula Fitzpatrick will be uh, captaining the Silver Ferns for the first time in Game 2 of the Tiny Jamison Trophy. Uh, and that's, uh, of course, on Sky TV tonight as well. Um, and looking to lock up that, that um, trophy in the cabinet and keep planning for what's uh, ahead for the Silver Ferns. It is 9.30 here on SENZ. News time with Trudy. Well, our listeners absolutely loved having uh, Greg Murphy back on the airwaves last week, so we've uh, got him back again. Of course, uh, he's uh, part of our race control team with Stephen McIver, 7pm on Thursday nights uh, here on SENZ. Murph, good morning to you. You're on the road today somewhere. 
Yeah, funny. Actually, it feels a bit strange. I'm at um, Napier Airport, hidden uh, down to Queenstown legally, of course, because we're allowed to, um, which is a little bit weird because I've been on a plane for a little while. Uh, and you're in that new luxurious Coru lounge up there at Napier, are you? <laughs> yeah, but uh, level two means mask wearing and uh, not a free-for-all at the buffet, so it's uh, not quite as good <laughs> as it normally is. Hey mate, they call it the silly season at the moment for supercars as the teams look to settle on their driver lineups for next year. What what's the latest gossip? Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's a few things still to roll out. Um, a few uh, teams still haven't announced exactly all their lineups. Uh, it's a big change. I think we covered last week was um, uh, with Andre Heimgartner, you know, announcing that he was um, leaving uh, Kelly Grove Racing at the end of the season, heading heading off announced to uh, Brad Jones Racing, which um, it was also announced that uh, Nick Perkett was leaving Brad Jones Racing. So so he hasn't actually come forth yet and, and um, given us the details on what he is doing, but he, I would imagine, has got uh, it all sorted and, and under control. You don't leave a race team, um, you know, before the season's finished if you don't have something else lined up. So he, uh, I would expect, is going to announce he's going to welcome Shaw and Drudy United to line up alongside uh, Ches Mostert, which is going to be a great combination and, and really good for uh, for Nick. I think um, heading to a team that is on the up with a teammate like Ches, uh, focused on two cars, not uh, four, where he is at BJR, is just going to put a focus back on, on what he needs as a race car driver to do the job. So sort of quite excited about uh, that announcement, I think, which is forthcoming. Um, it leaves a few others um, sort of up and down around the place. Um, Bryce Forward, who is at Walkinshaw and Drudy United, the young guy from Darwin. Um, it means that um, he's uh, will be either on the move or without a drive, but there's a bit of word around that he might end up at Tickford. So Tickford's got a lot of announcing still to do. They've only got uh, one confirmed, and that is, um, well, I think is going to be confirmed um, in Cam Waters. So there's a few cars there that still need to be filled. But that is interesting just with, um, you know, the fact that uh, we, we, we haven't, got the season finished by any means and we're still waiting for a calendar announcement on the, the next few races before Bathurst in December and yet uh, these uh, drivers moving around all over the place. Which would impact uh, greatly on the sport, I would imagine, the uncertainty because this is a sport, like most, uh, but this one in particular when it comes to branding, etc., uh, involves mm. a lot about money, sponsorship, advertising, return on investment, uh, and the uncertainty cannot be easy for, uh, for the code, can't be. Uh, it's not, mate. It, it really is a real challenge, and just some of the, you know, the sort of feedback that's coming through from contacts over there within teams, you know, it's just massively challenging at the moment. You've got teams that are, are sitting around, you know, um, reducing obviously the amount of days they've got nothing to do. The cars are sort of prepared and ready to go, and they are waiting for confirmation that they're going to head off um, up north pretty soon to into Queensland to to have a couple of races up there, and then a couple of races have been uh, talked about happening in New South Wales at Sydney Motorsport Park before they head off to Bathurst and this uncertainty is just so tough as you say, you know, the, the sport like uh, all professional sport these days built around those relationships with sponsors third parties that are, um, you know, are there to get uh, coverage and be seen on the TV and, and none of that is happening at the moment so really, really tricky and on top of that they've got a uh, you know, a, a big uh, situation around uh, championship ownership and um, what's going to happen there? So the you know the current owners who own 65 percent Archer Capital, um, you know private equity company are looking to sell, and 
there is you know potential that that might be done by the end of the year but there's a lot of due diligence and and uh, conversations and negotiations still to happen so you know the championship's looking like being sold it's not a good time because obviously the value of it at the moment is a bit of a bit of a concern about moving forward and and um you know so the teams are waiting to hear about that as well which just adds to the complexity and the anxiety around the future Myth, um, it wasn't a great weekend. We spoke last week uh, around about uh, the prospects for Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin last weekend in, in IndyCar for Scott Dixon. Uh, he finished 12th in Monterey, which basically has cancelled his chances out um, for this particular year. So he'd have, with his record, he'd write that off as pretty unsuccessful sort of a year, would he? Would he? Yeah, I think, I think he really would. And um, it'll take a little bit of... I suppose analysing too from his perspective and his his team to look at um, you know uh, all the factors that came into that and and I actually uh, did a um, an interview this morning um, with uh, Lee Diffie who's lead commentator broadcaster for the championship and an Aussie guy who's a really good mate of mine I've known him uh, for over 20 years and um, he's uh, immersed heavily in, in IndyCar at the moment Long Beach is coming up so I spoke to him a little bit about that and he's on race control uh, tomorrow night at seven. Uh, between 7 and 9 p.m., we've got a, a really good interview with him, and he brought up some really good points that uh, around you know the likes of Scott Dixon and some of the other guys that have been around a while, they're up against it with this this, this you know this young um, sort of run at the moment that we've we've got in, in lots of forms of motorsport, but there's this talent that's coming through. Alex Pillow, who's leading the championship, you know he's in his early 20s. Um, Pato Award, early 20s, all these guys that are that are coming through at the moment. Colton Herter, who won the race on the weekend at Laguna Seca, early 20s, and they've just they're so strong, so fast, and it, it's it's almost like it's the the simulator era. So the the these drivers that have spent so much of their time learning their trade, on, you know, doing things differently, using the different tools like sims, simulators, and spending all the time on them, which you know the, the Scott Dixon of the world didn't grow up doing. You know, it was all about actually in the car, driving the car, and learning through talking to engineers and, and looking at data or that information, not so much around um, the simulation side of it all. But these guys are, have, are spending hours and hours and hours, days, you know, doing things and learning through different means that um, the guys that have been around 10, 15 years didn't do. And, and it is making a difference. It's, it's changing the way drivers um, are learning their trade and learning their skills. And, and I think you can see that's happening in Formula One and, and it's now it's happening in in uh, IndyCar as well. It's just these little idiosyncrasy changes, technology that um, that that are seem to be really making a difference. So his future is going to be an interesting one. You know, um, his motivation. He's always had such strong motivation. Is it going to continue? Knowing that he's he's up against it when it comes to, you know, the battle with this this new generation of drivers. So the the future is is pretty exciting. His teammate Alex Palou. Well, it's basically it's his to lose now. So uh, yeah. what does Dixon's role become now? Um, and if it's a support role, how do you support someone on the track? I mean, have you ever been asked to, to, to do that, just support your teammate? And, and, and tactically, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, yeah, listen, it's absolutely. I think uh, lots of drivers have been asked. And I've been in that situation before. Um, and, and no question, uh, they will. that'll be a big part of, of what Ganassi planned for this weekend. Um, knowing that Scott has got, you know, there's there's nothing to lose in that respect. He's not fighting for that championship anymore, and, and he's a team player, and, and he, you know, and he will be absolutely 100% supportive of of trying to allow that to happen. Um, and his what he needs to do is obviously be as fast as he possibly can, qualify as good as he possibly can ahead of the, um, Alex's uh, rivals, 
and and if it means that he you know can run a uh, run tail gunner or he can you know be in some way shape or form see a bit of a disruptor during the race obviously not do anything that's you know blatantly going to uh, ruin someone's race but just you know be in the right place to to support Alex's race in whatever way and you know there's there's many pl- things that can play out during a you know a, a race around a street circuit like Long Beach that can that can where he can assist just to, to be in the right place at the right at the wrong time for someone else to um, either lose some time or or um, you know uh, be a bit of a blocker in some respects and and IndyCar and, and and NASCAR have some interesting you know situations there around you know these blue flags and things that we see a lot in supercars and some of the racing over here that doesn't happen in the US they're not focused around you know if you're going to be a lap down you don't have to get out of the way um, you know it, it's up to up to you to continue to race and it's up to the guy behind to to get past so it's it's very different in the in way they can strategize uh, versus what we can do and get away with here in, in New Zealand Australia so it, it's going to be all on because Long Beach is is just talk for anyway with uh, the concrete walls up and close and personal the way they are you know the tiny tiniest mistake and, and you know it's all over the show is race control folks it's tomorrow night Murph's always already given us a preview as to some of the content uh, he'll be there with uh, Stephen McIver 7pm uh, on Thursday nights here on SENZ travel well Murph uh, enjoy Queenstown eh thanks Smithy uh, good to talk mate talk cheers. next week yep yeah, cheers. Talk next week uh, with uh, Greg Murphy, a regular on the show now. We're pretty pleased about that. 9.42 here on SCNZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. On the back of talking to uh, Dame Nolene Tauro, we can tell you that uh, the 12 uh, she has named for tonight's second uh, international against the English Roses is uh, Tiana Maturo and Grace Wecky in the uh, shooting area, of course. Uh, the other court members will be Tapia Selby-Rickett, Maya Wilson, Kate Heffernan, Shannon Saunders. Shannon Saunders is in there as well, yeah. Uh, I'll just have that confirmed. Um, uh, Claire Kirsten uh, is in there. Peter Tuava, Sam Winders. Sam Winders is in there. Uh, Kelly Jury is in there as well, and also Sulu Fitzpatrick is there and confirmed confirmed as the captain. Karen Berger, of course, a member of that 12 as well. So that is the 12 just come through to us for Game 2 tonight. Also, of course, John, the Springboks, nice and early with their team naming. Yeah. Not mucking around or keeping anyone guessing. Everyone in that squad knows exactly what's going on. So LaRue, Nkosi, Arm, Delonda, Mpipi. Uh, Pollard and Fafta Clerk, of course, at 10 and 9. Vermeulen, uh, Quagga Smith gets a start at 7. Ulisi, De Jaeger, uh, Itzabeth, Malherba, Mbanambi and Nainkani are uh, the starting 15 with Marks, Kitsov, Kok, Muster, uh, Panstaden, Yanchis uh, H, Yanchis E and Francois Stein. What did you make of that? Very no. powerful, very big forward pack, that man. Yeah, I like... You'd wonder how... How are they struggling so much when they've got a team like that? When you name them, it's just—is it this? It must be their style because, man, they've yeah. got great players everywhere. Like Lacanio Arm and Damian Delende, like they are good midfielders, but you just never see them get the ball because Andre Pollard never passes it. Uh, him and De Klerk, 
Uh, they're going to bombs away, Smithy, aren't they? Like, it's it's obvious what they're going to do, and they do have a big pack, and even Itzabeth is an absolute mongrel of a man. Can't wait to see him and Brody Retallick collide. I hope tempers flare, you know, just a little bit. Not so much that people are sent off, but just a, a little bit. I'd like to see those two going head-to-head, but, man, you know, that, that is a great team, Smithy, isn't it? Like, so why have they been doing so poorly? Well, because of um, what you've been saying, but I, I just wonder if they've been just keeping a little bit under wraps for this special occasion. I mean, this, for me, this 100th Test match, these two matches are the highlight of this calendar year of rugby. To be honest, they are. I mean, it's a great great shame that they're playing it in Townsville and not somewhere with a vast stadium where they could fit 100,000 people in, because that's what it deserves. It's a curtain raiser to another game, which is ironic, isn't it? Um, But I, I wonder whether they're keeping a little bit dry here and what I'd like to see is that the All Blacks get out to a, a healthy lead early on, which forces South Africa's game plan to change. It forces them to play a, a ball-in-hand game of rugby just to see if they can. If, it, if the kick-and-chase one works, that's what you'll see. But I'd like to see if they've got anything else uh, in their uh, agenda, on their agenda, in their itinerary. I, I, don't, I don't know if they have, but I'm kind of suspecting that they might play a little differently, just a little differently than we have been seeing. Yeah, well, I hope so, just simply for the spectacle, because people are writing them off, Smithy, which is probably dangerous. I know you probably would have seen Laurie Maines's comments in the media, and a lot of people are saying, Springboks, absolutely no chance. So now we've seen the Springboks team, what do you think the All Blacks will come up with tomorrow afternoon to combat this? We know they're going to kick high in the air, so does that change the back three for the All Blacks? Well, it might. I mean, most of our guys are pretty well skilled. At being under the high ball anyway. I mean, you don't get to that point if that's a clear and utter weakness for you. Uh, but that brings in the possibility of people like George Bridge, uh, you know, uh, maybe as a, a possible... His, his attacking skills are undoubted anyway, so uh, the defensive side of thing and the combination of that back three uh, will be uh, of huge interest uh, when they name the side. Apart from that, I don't see the uh, Ian Foster and Grant Fox being too much influenced by uh, what South Africa have done. I really don't, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine the All Blacks will reveal their team until, until what, it's a Saturday evening game, so what are we looking at tomorrow afternoon? It's uh, afternoon at some stage, that seems to be their pattern. Uh, and I'm not sure that they will have read, in fact, they'll know what it is now, but they're just, they're just not going to play, unless there's a marginal type injury that they're waiting on. Uh, but I, I, I don't, and uh, Anton Leonard-Brown is at all, at all doubtful, uh, and then I think we'll see Rico Ioane in the 13 jersey. Uh, alongside Havili. So that, that's uh, all I can speculate on. I'm looking forward to seeing who they pick at halfback. Um, it looks like TJ's certainly really firmly back in the mix now after his uh, little excursion overseas. Uh, will they give, with all the uh, slightly more experience that he's got, will they give him the nod? Um, probably, I think, in terms of uh, strength around the fringes, etc. Probably yes. So uh, the, the other things I'm looking at, but we're still 24 hours away from making up our minds there. Uh, multi next. Uh, here on SENZ, Tale of Woe. The Tale of Woe midweek continues. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold her. Know when to fold her. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, the Phillies went down to the Orioles. Was, uh, they got two runs in the first innings, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Phillies uh, weren't able to get any, so 2-0 was the result there, so we were out of play very early on in the piece, which is a shame because Preston beat Cheltenham 4-1, Burnley beat Rochdale 4-1, and 
and the Australian women's cricket team absolutely pummeled that one too. They beat India um, by nine wickets, chasing down 225, got them just one down. Uh, outstanding run chase there. So today we're going to avoid American sport for the day. I'll tell you why, because they play so often, they play so many games in their competition. Human nature says they're going to have off days, but also human nature tells me they're not going to try very hard sometimes too. So I, I might just leave that alone until playoff time comes around when you know everyone is trying their darndest. Hmm, bit suspicious there, but that's me, the punter, the unsex, unsuccessful punter too, by the by. So football, uh, we'll go to football today. Palmeiras and Atletico, uh, Atletico MG it is, um, and that is in the Copa de Libertadores. Uh, 288 is the draw, and that's what I'm going for. 288 the draw. Uh, Brighton to beat Swansea tomorrow morning at a buck forty. Chelsea to beat Aston Villa at a dollar thirty-six. Five dollar forty-nine return there. Uh, not too bad, but straight out football multi on that one. Uh, we've got an interesting subject to come up. We've been talking about where have all the kids gone when it comes to playing sport. Uh, where are the numbers gone? Well, where do they go when they go to university? Where do they go late in their education? To sports clubs? To where? To the beach? We don't know. Sarah Anderson will tell us. Nature beat power pilot. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, it's 10.03 here, and uh, last week we were exploring just why and when our young people are deciding not to play sport anymore. With uh, participation numbers, we learnt dropping to below 50% in some high schools. Uh, I mentioned that university sport didn't seem to be what it used to be. Um, I wasn't sure. Um, but thankfully, listening to our conversation was uh, Sarah Anderson, who's the Executive Director of University and Tertiary Sport New Zealand. Uh, good morning, Sarah. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks very much for agreeing to be uh, on the show today to answer some questions. That's uh, University and Tertiary Sport New Zealand. Uh, how long has, has it been around for, and what are the goals of the organisation? Good morning, Ian. Uh, thanks for your invite to be on the show. Uh, certainly work closely with Mike from School Sport New Zealand, so did pick up on your question there around tertiary sport. Um, University and Tertiary Sport New Zealand uh, was first established in 2015, um, that following a period of time where there was no national entity leading um, effectively the competitive end of tertiary sport through national and international competition. So we've spent the last five years leading a return to quality competitive inter-tertiary sport um, through a different sort of model than the old uni games and Easter tourney that um, many of us are a bit older remember. Um, and we're also about driving a renewed focus on the value of sport, both to the sports sector and the education sector. So student associations are, are no longer in, in control of sport at universities? No, and that was a um, key shift in this new era. And I think one of the benefits in that is it provides a really sound platform moving forward. Uh, student associations previously owned the entity and being students, they are a bit transient, so you only had a period of four to five years and they move on. So having a sustainable strategy and an independent board has allowed us to have a longer-term vision um, that we're working towards. So this entity is now funded by the universities themselves with backing from the vice-chancellors. 
I remember um, on one of those uh, in the bracket you talked about a little earlier there about being slightly old. I remember university sport being very, very strong in this country to the point where uh, New Zealand University's rugby team would take on touring sides uh, when they used to come here. That seems uh, a long way off at this point. Um, is it a fair comment that that's been pretty quiet over the last wee while in terms of, of participation, particularly profile participation? Yeah, I think it's not necessarily that the activity has been quiet. Um, we still have three very active university councils in the New Zealand universities, rugby, rugby league and rowing. So those sports have been around for a long time. Their councils still lead a New Zealand selected team. And this year, um, really positive too, New Zealand University's Rugby Council for the first time announced a women's New Zealand University team um, who did play here nationally um, without the ability to travel overseas. I think probably what's happened is it's, um, there's such a focus on primary and secondary age sport and what's going on there. Often the tertiary space goes under the radar. Um, there's certainly a lot happening. Uh, universities um, are catering to a massive cohort of students from pay to play, um, social, into faculty, into hall, um, into tertiary events locally. Like up in Auckland, you have Battle of, the, um, Battle of AUT and University of Auckland. Um, so there's still a lot happening, but it's quite hard to get profile for this particular age group, and that's another key strategic area that we're working towards. Um, we are starting to make gains. Our badminton championship was um, aired on Sky Sport Next this year. So slowly but surely, we are trying to raise that profile. Sarah, uh, one of the areas that has been of concern, uh, particularly late secondary school, we're led to believe, and I'm talking about an age group here, not all kids go, I understand, to university. Um, but in terms of those that are, what are your people telling you about numbers uh, and and uh, not so much quality of participation, but the willingness of, of, of kids to, to stay involved in sport and, and combine it with their tertiary stu studies these days? Yeah, certainly we work similar to Mike mentioned uh, last week, the Active New Zealand uh, survey data from Sport New Zealand. There is a sharp decline at 18 as they transition into sec uh, the tertiary environment. Um, it's not necessarily that they aren't participating, um, I think there's a change in participation at that age as well from team sport. Um, body image becomes more important, so there's quite a bit of mm. individual participation um, away from the kind of team club structures that are quite paramount in the secondary school space. Um, so the activity levels do drop, but part of that, I think the pause while they navigate a change of city, a change of peer group, they're away from mum and dad now, secondary school, everything's kind of there, ready. When they get to tertiary environments, they actually have to go and seek it out. So the students are actually saying they want it. They don't always know what it looks like in the tertiary environment. So again, that's part of our job about getting into year 13 and secondary school environments and showing them what tertiary sport looks like, um, some of our promotional campaigns. So I think the willingness is definitely there. The core sports, um, you know, uh, are often the ones that attract the attention. You know, the rugby, the football, uh, the netball, etc. You know, those ones that get the coverage you're talking about on on television as such. Uh, there seems to be a bit of a drift away from uh, from a couple of those in particular. Uh, 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 is that because there's a lot more options as well, uh, and, and kids have found 
something a little bit trendier to do, a little bit less time consuming? Uh, I think there's a little bit of both. Um, what you have to remember is the student population is very diverse. You will have the um, competitive students who have come through the sports system who are seeking out a high quality, very competitive performance event. Um, if they haven't made the top regional team, this is another pathway for them to be seen by the NSO. But then you have another group of students who a national tertiary event, for example, will be their pinnacle event. Um, so yeah, it's, it's looking for different options. So what are the popular sports? Are they still the core sports? Or what are, are you seeing a drift anywhere in particular? Yeah, the core sports are still popular. And I think that there's a, still a gap in the sports strategies and talent development approaches for the 18 to 24-year-old group. Um, NSOs are working really hard to have a look at that. Um, many haven't sort of dived into the tertiary space and sometimes that's because they haven't had the time or um, resource and capacity to really understand the tertiary environment and what the needs are there. And that's where we see a real opportunity that embrace the four to five years where these kids are studying. Um, it's a unique environment. It's a unique chance to leverage by offering a product that's relevant and meaningful to them. So there's a couple of transition points, I guess, um, year 13 into tertiary and then also tertiary back out into their community and club programs. So what about the focus on health these days? Health is a massive issue. You know, there used to be, a, a, I guess, a little bit of a culture there of your, your university days being where you, you sort of got away from that aspect. It was, it was a study, of course, but it was party. It was follow the crowd sort of a thing. Uh, do you have an emphasis on the the healthy, backing to the healthy aspect of participating while you're studying? Yes, absolutely. Um, well-being in our universities is not new. Um, they're very well versed in that space because for them, um, successful students um, rely on um, supportive environments and healthy, connected, engaged students. Um, so they do a lot around pastoral care and sport is a contributor um, to that positive experience. So we're looking at how um, sport can contribute to well-being, and it's particularly important because we know that currently the 18 to 24-year-old age group in New Zealand is have some of the highest levels of anxiety that they have for a long time. So it is really important that sport is enjoyable. What's really promising is whether it's an on-campus um, inter-faculty or a national tertiary championship, when you actually ask the students what do they love the most about it? It all comes down to social connectedness and that is just coming through really strongly. They want to connect with others in a positive way. The sporting experience is just the vehicle to allow that to happen. We see rugby clubs in particular, uh, and I, I keep going back to rugby because it's probably the worst example of the lot, but they tend to target kids at secondary school age. Uh, they tend to earmark them and grab hold of them as soon as they leave. Uh, on the basis of getting them into their, their club programs or whatever. Uh, do you see that, that kind of pressure at university level to take them away from a university-type sport environment? No, I wouldn't say there's a pressure to move away from it. I think what probably where there's a gap is the connection of the university clubs back to the regional associations. So that's another area that we're looking to strengthen. Um, you'll always get the athlete who, if, if they're going to get more game time with another club out in the community than their own university one, they will shift around. 
Um, but I wouldn't say that, that there's a you know, direct sort of pressure on students to, to be in the community clubs. So in, in terms of your mission statement, uh, university and, and tertiary sport in New Zealand, what, what's your mission statement? What, at the end of the day, uh, how, how do you sum up, uh, say, a year in, in operation? What, what are your goals? Um, our goals are more uh, tertiary students participating in sport at a national and international level. Um, so something we haven't talked about today either is we still um, send teams to the World University Games, so the likes of Athletics New Zealand, Rowing New Zealand, um, Swimming New Zealand, that's an important pathway onto um, well, an experience prior to Commonwealth and Olympic because that event replicates. Um, but yes, our mission is more and sport contributing to wellbeing. Um, and important to remember too, we're actually looking at um, more and more not student participation, not just as an athlete on the court or the field, but also vocational pathways are really important. So our um, students are the future sports administrators of the sports sector. Mm. Um, so how can we get kids involved in sport through being a sports photographer, event manager, helping with commentary and live stream? And that's a really exciting area as well. So we're trying to increase the engagement through different opportunities that are relevant and meaningful across the board, both for sport and education. New Zealand women's sport is going through a golden patch uh, through the Olympics uh, and other, um, other events as well, but particularly it's been highlighted of late. They're, they're very strong and they're doing very well. Uh, if you look at the split um, in university participation, tertiary participation in sport, is it 50-50? I would imagine at one point it was quite heavily towards male, but has that changed? Um, it is looking at the Active New Zealand data again, which is our kind of go-to data. The split is pretty good, 50-50, yes, and certainly in our um, participation stats for our own uh, championship events, again, it's very 50-50 um, as well, which is promising. So uh, when kids are about to leave um, leave school and choose their next pathway, and hopefully it is, is to university, do you have any involvement late in secondary school to to advise, to draw them in any one direction or, or you know, give them that kind of pathway opening? That's an area that we haven't, we have in our plan and we're excited, we're in a new strategic phase currently and launching into that next year. And one key goal that's coming through very clearly from both um, all our NSOs is they want to address that transition point. So we'll sit down with Mike Summerall from School Sport New Zealand and we want to look at what a campaign effectively does look like in the secondary school environment, particularly to those Year 13 students, so that they know what it looks like, they know where to go, who to contact, and that that's a smooth pathway when they move through. That's hugely important, uh, Sarah. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on this morning and uh, making us a, a little better educated in, uh, in what it's like in the area and the level you're dealing at. Uh, uh, thanks for listening to the show, and uh, we're all the better for it. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Ian. Sarah Anderson there, folks, uh, Executive Director of University and Tertiary Sport in New Zealand. Uh, such a crucial time for our kids to not, I won't say not drift off the rails, but be directed uh, and to carry on the good work that they've, they've been doing at school level that, and their coaches, etc., have been doing there to make sure that that talent just doesn't go begging. Uh, and that is, for me, the worry. I, you know, I talk to a lot of guys around uh, the Hawke's Bay area we're you know pretty strong in sport around Hawke's Bay um, but the guys that are you know inv involved in some sports who are struggling 
to field teams of the age group we're talking about. Uh, and I, I keep saying, if you haven't got a coach team, a junior team, um, a development team in any sport within your club, what future do you have? So there you have Sarah Anderson uh, and the good people around her uh, doing good work uh, and trying to make sure that that, that doesn't happen. Uh, have you got a view on that? You've been pretty quiet on the uh, America's Cup. Uh, what did you make of the Springbok side? What are you thinking about uh, the All Blacks? What will they counter with when we've seen the power of the Springboks? And are we just expecting another kick it up in the air, chase it, put uh, a lot of pressure on the player under the ball? Are we expecting that to happen on Saturday night for the 100th Test match? Gee, I'm getting excited about it already. Are you? Are you? Double eight thirty-three. Double eight thirty-three. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Love to hear from you. Injury troubles uh, in the last few years and has very much been uh, on the perimeter. Had a couple of loan spells, obviously, over at uh, over in the US um, and also with Brentford uh, as well. So no great surprise to see him release, but. Man, what what a what a servant! And and um, I've got to say, Smithy, it's it's the end of an era, really, and a pretty pretty incredible one as well. Like the the whole story of Winston Reid, really, um, especially for New Zealand fans, has been a pretty extraordinary run. One really, I mean, when you consider the way that he obviously came into the All Whites ahead of the 2010 World Cup, exploded with that that goal against Slovakia, um, and that's a goal that really put him on the map um, and earned. Uh, it was a, a, an amazing move, really, for him at the time, moving from um, Michelin, obviously, uh, in Denmark to, at that point, and, and let's face it, West Ham are one of the storied clubs in, in English football, aren't they? They're not one of the big six or anything, but they are a, are a proper English Premier League club, and um, and he, he has really left his mark there, and I, I found it really fascinating, really, to, to look um, at some of the, the feedback from the West Ham fans um, in, in response to West Ham announcing that this morning, he he is leaving that club a dead set. I, I, I won't say legend, but he is held in very high regard by those fans, and he has been a part of some really big moments for them in recent in recent history. Some some big goals in the Premier League, big cup goals. Um, scored actually, he didn't score many goals, but he scored some pretty spectacular ones. And um, and also too, he scored the last ever goal. Uh, at Upton Park before they moved into their new stadium. So he very much holds a, a special place in the heart of, of many West Ham fans. Um, and it will be really interesting to see where he goes next. I mean, if I'm, I, I've, got, I've got no inside information on this, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he's still good enough to play at like championship level, um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him potentially move back to Denmark. Or, or possibly to Italy. Um, I know his his wife is Italian. He has good friends um, who who play in the Italian league as well. So I think those would be the sort of three probable options uh, from from where I'm sitting. Guy Havelt has joined us uh, from TVNZ. No truth to the rumour that you are sponsored by the Chelsea Refinery Company. We tried to have that confirmed, but we can't get any. <laughs> um, we can't. We can't get any confirmation of that from anyone, Guy, to be fair. <laughs> hey, I was wondering when we were going to bring up school sport, considering you've got Gordy on now with me uh, after we had Ollie Ritchie with me last time. So um, good to see Beads were nowhere near the uh, rugby playoffs in Christchurch this year. That's, that's always a positive, but we won't talk about the result of the final on the weekend. Let's just, let's didn't just we, move didn't on. Didn't we top the table? Didn't we top the table, guy? I mean, we were we were we were around about, weren't we? Yeah, but you didn't make the final, and you know, it's all that matters. 
Oh boy, things things oh, don't change. Uh, they, the medicine go down. <laughs> some some things do not change, and that includes feuding and debating over America's Cup guy. And here we go again. Uh, we've got Mr. Dumphy and Mr. Dalton. Mr. Dalton saying there's zero, basically zero substance, zero trust around this new possible bid to host it. Uh, here we go again. Another chapter. Yeah, here we go again indeed, Smithy. It's it's hard to know who to believe, really, uh, to be honest. I, what I would say is is that I think it is about time that, that Dunphy does release who the people are that he does have in this in this team that he's putting forward to, to keep the cup held in New Zealand. I think it's fair that, that Dalton needs to know that, to know what they're working with and the type of people that they're working with. In saying that, uh, I... I I struggle with Grant Dalton sometimes in the way that he goes about things and the way that he puts himself out there and some of the stuff that he says. Uh, he's fairly brash. Um, he he kind of runs by his own tune and, and, and really no one else can get close to him and it's his way or the highway. Uh, as I say, it, it's hard to know who to believe. What I do think is that eventually they will find a middle ground and the cup will be held in New Zealand. It doesn't look like that at the moment, but I think I just think that it has to be here. Otherwise... Uh, the large majority of the country will fall out of love with the America's Cup if they haven't already, uh, and and um, and and you know we just won't care about it as much. And, and I think that, despite the fact that they've now won it back and and then defended it here, I think that would be a lasting legacy for Grant Dalton. He won't want that. George, where do you where do you see this? I mean, you, you'd have to have your finger on the pulse because it's it's such a huge item when it finally happens. But boy. What do we have to go through for that to take place? I've got to say, I, I agree with many of uh, the sentiments that guys just mentioned there. Um, boy, oh boy, I reckon Kiwis are really starting to feel indifferent about the America's Cup, about Emirates Team New Zealand, um, but especially Grant Dalton. Um, he's a hard guy to like. Let's let's face it, he is a hard guy to like. Um, he, he, he makes it... Um, he makes it very difficult, I think, to, to continue loving Team New Zealand. And the, and the funny thing about, about the America's Cup, Smitty, is that I think, generally speaking, Kiwis don't really care about the America's Cup apart from when the damn thing's being raced for. Um, and, but when it is being raced for, it's all New Zealand cares about. I mean, we saw that last time. We've seen that every time. Um, but all of this stuff, it's this time when, you know, Discussions are being held off the water. There's back and forth. There's bickering. Kiwis hate that. Um, but overall, my, my gut feeling on this is that, as I agree with Guy, I think ultimately this will end up uh, being raced for in Auckland. And I think the overriding reason for that, that I feel that way, is because he wouldn't have extended this deadline if there wasn't a hope yeah. or at least a, um, some kind of uh, feeling from Team New Zealand and even from Grant Dalton that he feels some sort of responsibility, I think, to give New Zealand every chance to host this regatta. What I would say as well, just quickly, Smithy, is, you know, what I say about Dalton, I, I do firmly believe. But in saying that, Team New Zealand wouldn't have been a team for probably the last two, possibly even three cups, if it wasn't for Grant Dalton. So while he goes about ways, uh, while he goes about things in, in ways that sometimes I, I vehemently disagree with, 
the fact of the matter is he has kept that team afloat, whether you like it the way he's gone about it or not. He's kept the team afloat for the last three cups, and he has to be applauded for that. But, but as I say, the, the, a lot of the legacy will rest on, on where this thing ends up. Stay with us, fellas, because uh, we've got plenty to talk about uh, after the news. Uh, and you can think about this too. This We've just had a tweet come in. You might have a, a, an opinion on this from a fella by the name of Jamie Wall who says uh, on his tweet, why are my ears Why are my ears being polluted with Christchurch High School rugby chat at SENZ? He loved it. Um, c- consider that while you listen to Trudy with the news. Talk, big opinions, the panel. here as we look to continue the panel um, and uh, let's uh, go to uh, cricket at the moment. Great to hear that the the White Ferns actually picked up a win last night, Uh, perhaps uh, starting to trend a little bit better for them, but uh, it hasn't been on the field that it's been uh, an issue this week. Uh, Andrew Gordy, uh, this is from Ramiz Raja. We go in the World Cup now and where we had one team in our target, basically in our sights, our neighbours India, they now add two more teams, New Zealand and England. So pick up the strength and develop a mindset that we're not going to lose because you didn't do right by us, with us, and we will avenge that in the ground. Uh, that's fighting talk. Fighting talk from an, an administrator. Aggressive. Um, and I don't know that that's um, <laughs> sort of the right sort of way to be talking, to be honest, especially at a time like this. Um, look, I, I understand why he's upset because Pakistan cricket are obviously doing everything they possibly can uh, to get cricket back up and running alive and well in their own country. And then something like this happens, like what has happened, obviously, to the Black Caps in the last week. Uh, and now you've got England pulling out, Australia talking about pulling out as well, and it's all just crumbling around them. So I, I definitely understand why they're hurting. Um, but, man, some of the nonsense on social media this week, especially <laughs> in the wake of the Black Caps pulling out, has been absolutely staggering, and, and I've got to say, um, yeah, just had to had to really switch off some of the some of the garbage that um, was coming my way um, uh, for just even you know tweeting about the fact that the tour was cancelled. It's not as though it was my fault or anything, um, but all you're doing is reporting the fact, and the fact is that the tour is off. Um, it's just been absurd, and and the overreaction is is astonishing. Um, it doesn't help, I think, Smitty, and I'm keen to get the thoughts of both of you on this, um, that England have now obviously pulled out of their series, um, which was, to be honest, only a handful of games. And I think England were only playing a couple, uh, a Three couple of 20s. I mean, they can be played any, any time you like. Um, but they're talking, the reason they've given is, is talking about bubble fatigue and, and whatnot and the, and the, the, the mental well-being of their players. Um Oh, that that really str- oh, that doesn't wash with me. I mean, if they want to come out and say, which is probably the real reason, which is there's been a there's been a threat against um, against our friends from New Zealand, and we feel like, and based on our own assessments or whatever, um, it's not an appropriate time to travel. That's that's perfectly legitimate, isn't it? Um, and and the other point too is these this constant demand to know exactly what the threat was. It's just gut like completely unrealistic. Of course no one's going to talk about exactly what uh, the threat posed was. Um, why would you give any kind of uh, credence, I suppose, to whatever anyone has, has said in an email or however that communication was made 
there's absolutely no way that that sort of thing is going to be made public. So it's a, it's a sad it's a sad affair. Um, but geez, there's been some pretty um, unreasonable and irrational responses to the whole thing in the last week, I think. Including guy, including uh, a supposed um, kind of threat to uh, the white ferns. Uh, we don't know how credible it was, and in the end, they they basically said there wasn't a lot of substance to us. Let's just get on the get on with the game, which was fantastic in the end, but. There could be uh, a trend there because uh, when is a threat not yeah. to be taken seriously? Well, this is exactly it, Smithy. I think, unfortunately, this this might be something that we see for a while because these fans are so passionate. All they have to do is find an email address and then they can fire off whatever they want in frustration um, towards whatever country it might be, whether that's now New Zealand or England because they're so angry with them and say whatever they want and then... It has to be investigated. I mean, I, 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 I was talking to some people during the week, as I'm sure you both were, and they say they get threats all the time. Uh, 99.999% yeah. of them are, are deemed not, not credible. But then when one comes through that that is serious and does come from a, a credible source or, or is deemed to be something that could possibly happen, what are you supposed to do? I, I mean, I, I just think the whole thing... It's been disappointing. Absolutely, it's been disappointing. But can you blame New Zealand cricket? I mean, what were they supposed to do? Get a credible threat right. and then go, oh, don't worry, boys, we'll send you out onto the, we'll send you out onto the bus and, and towards the ground and we'll see what happens. I mean, for goodness sake, mm. if, you're a, if you're a Pakistani fan sitting here right now and saying that uh, and, and thinking that what New Zealand cricket did wrong and that Pakistan is the safest country in the world, all you simply have to do is look at the fact that New Zealand, that the New Zealand cricket team needed hordes and hordes of guards with AK-47s surrounded around them all the time. And that tells you that that country is not one of the safest countries in the world. I'm sorry, but those are the facts of it. And, yeah, it's disappointing, but uh, I applaud New Zealand cricket for how they've gone about it. On a better note, boys... Sorry, I was just going to add to that, Smithy. There's obviously been... um, I think it's been disappointing as well to hear journalists on the ground, etc., um, you know, basically providing a, an endorsement for the country saying, oh, it's, it's perfectly safe here, there's yeah. nothing to worry about. Yeah, but you're not the one receiving the threats. You're not the one receiving mm-hmm. these emails. And, and, exactly. and actually, just um, to follow up on Guy's other point, I'm not sure that enough has actually been made about that point that, is, that has been um, sort of come to light this week, that these sorts of threats are received all the time. And, and, yeah. and I'm not talking about one or two. We're talking regularly. And if, if assessments are made on all of those threats, and obviously 99% of the time they're passed off as not credible or not something to be concerned about, when's that, when they actually get one that, and the assessment's done and they say, yeah, actually, no, this one is serious and we're going to act on that, I think New Zealand Cricket or any um, organisation for that matter is perfectly within their rights to say, you know what, we're, we're pulling this, this out and, and, and we're, not, we're not going ahead with this. On another note, um, uh, Gords and, and Guy, for that matter, Gords first, uh, un- unbelievable to think that the 100th encounter between the, the All Blacks and the Springboks will be played in Townsville, but that's the, uh, the, the world we live in at the moment. Springboks are named a very powerful side this morning. What are you most looking forward to about it, Gords? Yeah, well, certainly, Smithy, um, I think in years to come, that's going to be one hell of a quiz question, isn't it? Uh, where was the 100th test between the Springboks <laughs> and the All Blacks played? Um, I've got to be honest, and, and this is going to sound borderline arrogant, but I'm, I'm just not really all that concerned about the Springboks at the moment. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm not sure what's quite happened to them, but 
they just seem a shadow of the team that uh, won the World Cup only a couple of years ago. Look, they'll, they'll front up, and, and I'm sure they'll, they'll provide the usual physical, um, physical presence up front. And the All Blacks are going to need to match that, obviously, because there has been a couple of occasions in recent years when the All Blacks have, um, have not fronted up physically, and it's cost them. Um, obviously, the semi-final of the World Cup was, was one example of that. But I just think that um, I've, I've been really impressed with, uh, in particular, the All Blacks' backline. Uh, in the last couple of tests, um, and against the Wallabies as well. And players like Rico Ioane, like he's just grown another league um, recently, so is his brother for that matter. But, but Rico really seems to have a, have a new lease on life at the moment. And, um, you yeah, know, I, I think that's where the Springboks are just going to have no answer. Um, we, are, we saw the Wallabies last week when they got some ball. They actually, they actually sought to use it, and um, they just left the, the Springboks to dead in that regard. So... Um, yeah, there'll be a battle up front, but I think the this All Blacks back line will have far too much for the Springboks. Guy, do you think they might have been, uh, in terms of their game plan, the style of rugby they've been throwing at the world at the moment, they may have been possibly holding back. Do they have the ability to change? Oh, well, I'd be shocked if they did, considering what we've seen in the last few weeks. Uh, I, I was actually looking back, though, at around 2017, the results uh, that they had in the Rugby Championships in 2017, which is, of course at the same time in terms of the World Cup cycle as we are at the moment. Uh, and in that time, they lost two games to Argentina. Uh, they, they only won two games, sorry, in the Rugby Championship that year, both against Argentina, and they lost 57-0 to the All Blacks. So um, uh, the way things are going at the moment, perhaps it will be a similar year. Uh, they do really only, I think, largely care about the World Cup and, and everything's, everything's um, towards that, and who can blame them for that? I, I hope we get a better contest because largely this rugby championship has been uh, a bit disappointing so far in terms of, uh, you know, we, wa- we watch sport because we don't know who's going to win, but 90% of the time so far, in the All Blacks games anyway, we have known who's going to win, so uh, hopefully that changes. Variety of subjects covered this morning by both uh, Guy Havelt and Andrew Gordy. I thank them very much for their presence on the panel. Same time again tomorrow, we'll have two more people with a few more subjects to talk about. It's at 10.43 here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Text has come in to say, is it time for Grant Dalton to go? Well, I'm not sure it's time for Grant Dalton to go. And I think what you see with Grant Dalton is what you get. He's a very hard-nosed man to deal with. You know, both the blokes who we just had on the panel have had to deal with him on numerous occasions and said it's not easy. It's not, easy, it's not an easy interview. It's, uh, it's not easy to get stuff out of him from time to time. Uh, but Grant Dalton uh, shouldn't be forgotten as what he has done. Uh, what do we want? We want us to have the America's Cup. Where do we want them to sail it? We want them to sail it here. Up to this point, that's exactly what he's achieved. Uh, he's made a lot of money along the way. There's no doubt about it. A lot of people have made a lot of money along, along the way, and it's cost a, a lot to do it. Um, Auckland will say they have benefited from it. Um, but uh, I think uh, to work in that kind of field that he's in, with all those high-priced guys, I think you have to be a pretty hard-nosed individual. And if you weren't when you started out, I think you would be by the end of it. So uh, I'll say that uh, about Grant Dalton. Uh, I personally uh, have always got on very well with him. Uh, hi, Smithy, JD. Take the IPL with Milne and Bolt Bowling, both looking great. Injury-free Milne is in a fantastic rhythm, fast, and swinging the ball both ways. Is he in the T20 World Cup squad? Anthony says, no, he's not, Anthony. He's actually the 16th man. Uh, he will be at the World Cup, but he won't be actually be part of the active part of the squad. 
He is therefore injury cover. Uh, common sense these days, of course, uh, with the inability to fly people around the world and get them on the park with quick notice. Uh, so they've covered that bowling department there uh, with Adam Milne, and it's nice to know that he will be ready, absolutely ready, uh, if called upon. He does look fit, he looks strong, and he's uh, injury-free. Touchwood. 10.50, uh, very shortly, Louis Herman Watt and our usual visit to the TAB. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. It's that time of the day, folks, where you may, may just get a little bit of information from uh, one of our racing gurus, Louis Herman Watt, and then you'll back that up with the opportunity to find out what the odds are at the TAB. But first and foremost, they are racing around again at Cambridge. They're getting value for money out of their latest development in the Waikato. Yeah, shout out, Winnie. Shout out Winston Peters. Um, he did a good thing there. He did a great thing. The industry needed it, and we've got it. Smithy, there's some good racing going on there. I was just trying to have, I was trying to piece together a little quaddy for us. Um, I'm just running out of time. I could do it live, but it might not be great radio. But what you could do, I'm going to put it up. If you go download the Quaddy app, which is a, just a genius uh, SEN invention by Hutchie and all those uh, mad hatters over in Australia, go download the Quaddy app. I'll stick my Quaddy up in there because who have you got from the TAB? Pops or Paul Mawate? They'll I'll let you know, but I'm pretty sure they've got a 25k guaranteed quaddy today at Cambridge. So it's good value, and there's a couple I like in the later races. I think I'm probably, I'm probably going to anchor the actress in the last. It's for the Valachi Downs Yellow, uh, Craig Grills for Ortridge and Shagler. I thought last start it just had next start written all over it. Unfortunately, they're only giving us a dollar eighty for it though. Uh, you mentioned uh, at the uh, yesterday that uh, of course the Underwood is on this weekend across the Tasman. Of course, the Sandown Stakes is there as well. Uh, and it looks as if that elephant is uh, going to be... So I keep saying it's weird to talk about elephants and rhinoceroses and things running <laughs> around and alligators. But uh, to be fair, uh, elephant's a real trendy name and it sticks with you, but it seems like it's a fairly trendy horse as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big trunk, big ticket. Just but goes really well, Smithy. You're right. So that'll be in the Sandown Stakes. I think the price you're going to get is probably around that 375, 425, 450, depending on the draw. That would be my guess. Um, it might be a good each way chance. Cherry Tortoni also in the field. Harbour Views. It's probably not going to be the world's strongest field. And I think they thought about stepping Elephant up to Group 1. And I think this mm. is very, very smart from David Brown, who's over there with the horse. I, I think it can have another kill here and can keep pre- progressing nicely, keep that record intact. And it's becoming a real cult hero over in Australia as well as here. The team for uh, Emily and David Brown's gone so well. So Elephant, I think it can go well again. We'll have a look at those odds, a bit of an update on that tomorrow. What are we tomorrow? Yeah, Thursday. We'll have those for you. We'll have a few out and markets up tomorrow, Smithy. Good on you, Louis. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Well, there's no shortage, no shortage of drama in the NPC round last week, uh, finally getting back underway. And of course, uh, we had classic shield encounter, but it was a hell of a game, too, between. Uh, Canterbury and Waikato, Canterbury winning in the end by uh, 20 points to 19, uh, with somewhat of a controversial finish, shall we say. Uh, Luke Romano, of course, uh, Canterbury stalwart, Crusader stalwart, uh, former All Black 
uh, has joined us this morning after making 21 tackles. Uh, how's the body? Yeah, no, no, it's it's uh, still recovering. It was um, fairly sore over the weekend there, so, um, but no, it was uh, good to get back into it. On a pleasing note, Luke, from our particular point of view here, is that you're blank dizzy, uh, you're told him you were hunting hogs, but you've made yourself, avail- yourself available to us. Uh, how's the hog hunting been going? <laughs> you know, Izzy wanted to do it at the uh, doors this morning, and uh, yeah, with a day off today um, and a um, <laughs> full moon last night, I took the dogs for a bit of a run, caught a couple of pigs, so uh, that was good. Ah, perfect. Just the, just what we want to just what we want to hear, mate. Hey, look, uh, you, you guys have uh, you've had a, a, a pretty tough sort of introduction to this uh, season. Now they're starting to push you around a wee bit, and uh, that was close again uh, on Saturday night, Friday night. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it was certainly uh, close. Um, uh, Waikato obviously top of the table there, and um, you know they've been playing some good footy and. Um, Obviously, everyone was just rearing to go after, obviously, lockdown and that and just wanted to get back playing some some footy. So, uh, while it wasn't pretty, um, I actually thought it was probably pretty good from both teams considering that uh, we, we hadn't played for four or five weeks. What about uh, the, the finish to the end? A lot of talk about um, the charge or the early charge of the, con- the conversion. What was your take on it from your angle? Um, well, my angle was that the... Dopey bugger shouldn't have uh, had the ball ripped off him about 30 seconds before that, and we would never have been in that position. So, um, but um, oh, oh, look, that's um, I'm not too sure what the rules are with that, really. Um, you know, the ref made a decision there that he thought that we'd retreated, and um, and yeah, um, we obviously have to live with the ref's decision. <clears throat> sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. So, um, yeah, it's. One of those ones that will surely be a talking point around the um, coffee machine at work. Uh, it will be in the Chiefs' head office. It probably still is, mate. Don't worry about that. Hey, this week, uh, this week, of course, uh, Southland. Southland and Invercargill. Good old Southland battle. And they're never easy down there in the, in the deep south. No, no, it's not. And um, they've actually been playing some really good footy, um, not only this year, but last year. Um, you know, they're uh, you know a few years ago they were probably considered an easy beat team, and they've really turned it round down there. And um, they play with a lot of passion, a lot of heart, and um, they take it to teams for the full 80 minutes. So um, um, we're obviously preparing accordingly. We know it's going to be a hell of a battle. They haven't played for the last uh, five or six weeks, so they'll be rearing to go. And um, you know, over the years we've had some big ding dong battles with um, Southland, so um, I'm expecting nothing less. You've got um, a, a couple of old faces back in the group this year. Wasaki Naholo and Red and Black. Um, what's it like having uh, that big unit back in town? Yeah, no, it's good. It's um, <coughs> sorry, um, it's probably the last place I thought I'd see him in um, red and black colours and that. But um, I hate. He's been awesome, you know, that we've got some young outside backs here and just having him in the team with his experience and um, his knowledge and, you know, he's, he's been an all-black. He's been at the top of the game and um, just the knowledge that he can pass on to our younger outside backs is critical. And um, and he's full of energy. He's a, he's a loving being back in New Zealand playing footy. So, um, you know, and that 
that attitude and that energy is um, contagious and, um, you know, he's been spreading that around the team and um, he's starting to get back into the into the wasaki that we know. So speaking of, you know, experience being around the place, uh, Sam Whitelock, uh, we heard, may be uh, turning out for you guys at some stage. Have you seen him? Has he, has he been around training? He actually trained with us yesterday. Um, he's been in and out of the gym doing his stuff, um, obviously from the All Blacks, and and um, yeah, he, he uh, trained with us yesterday and that. So when he had a guy like that come back into the um, environment with obviously a lot of the young guys that, you know, a fair few know who he is, I've probably never met him and never trained with him. Um, um, it's just awesome for the team, you know. He's a wealth of knowledge. You know, he's over 100 tests, over 100 games for the Crusaders, and he's played a handful for Canterbury. Um, just having a guy like that in um, is great for the younger guys, but also good for the older guys like um, myself, you know. Um, I've played a lot with him, and he understands the game, and um, he just sort of takes a little bit of the pressure off me to, um, you know, drive those um, standards around set-piece and... Uh, around forward time so um, he's awesome and um, he's really rearing to go um, so hopefully we'll see him on the field in the next week or so Talking talking to Luke Romani, that's exciting news Luke Romani, of course from Canterbury, from the Crusaders from uh, the All Blacks Luke you've had opportunities to, to go overseas and you've basically stayed uh, around Canterbury the whole time what, what's kept you there and are you still loving your footy just as much as ever? Yeah, I, I am, Smithy. Um I love playing for Canterbury and the Crusaders down here. And um, well, I guess what's kept me here is that when you know I was growing up, it's other teams I wanted to play for. And um, sort of to me, that's you know playing for a team that you're passionate about and um, is probably more is uh, probably more important than the uh, money. Um, you know, as a pro rugby player, you um, you put your body through so much, um, and um, it's sort of not a chore when you're doing it for a team that you're really passionate about and um, you want to see succeed. So that's probably the big draw card that's sort of kept me here. Uh, look, mate, uh, on Saturday night in Townsville of all places, it's the hundredth test between. The All Blacks and the Springboks. You played against the box three times, including once in Johannesburg. Uh, to you, um, with those three games, to you, is it the ultimate rivalry? And and was it a career highlight to play against them? Yeah, look, I think it is the um, ultimate rivalry in rugby. Um, on the field, that they're just fierce battles. Um, big physicality. Both teams are so passionate about. Um, winning for their country and um, and you know we'll go to sort of all lengths to try and make that happen but off the field there's a real um, um, sort of friendship you know that they're actually uh, really good buggers off the field you know both teams share a beer in the sheds after the game um, and um, you know that you might um, sort of go to battle with them for 80 minutes, but once that final um, whistle's gone, you know, you're mates and you have a beer and you have a laugh about and, and have a yarn about what's just happened. So, um, 
Yeah, obviously playing in Africa is a real highlight. Uh, when you're playing in front of a packed um, Alice Park or um, out there in Soweto where we played, um, yeah, it's it's amazing really and uh, yeah, certainly a career highlight. They have named their starting 15 already for the weekend and uh, they've got uh, Luke de Yaga and uh, Eben Itzabeth starting. Um, big units, as we well know. Uh, you've, um, you've clashed with those guys. Uh, what are their strengths? Uh, is it just power or technique? What, what, what have we, we got to be looking for there? Yeah, I actually <clears throat> saw their team last night there, and um, <clears throat> I thought that they'd gone for quite an experienced lineup. Um, obviously, that you know, the South African game's built around that big physicality, and um, you know, there's not, <laughs> there's not many people bigger than um, it's a best than Lude and that, and then uh, with Dwayne Vanuelen on the back of the scrum too, um, it's, uh, it's a pretty men- menacing forward pack. Um, so um, they're obviously looking to play that direct physical game, and um, they've put their experienced players out there. Um, and then when you couple that with uh, what comes off the bench, um, they're obviously looking for an 80-minute performance to come back to the All Blacks. So, um, having lost two in a row, um, they're a wounded team, and um, yeah, you can see that they're uh, they're really a- attacking this game with uh, they want to win it. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. What do you think, uh, Ian Foster? How, how will we we counter it in the locking role? Do you think, in terms of the makeup of our team, which two will he go for? Um, oh, well, in the past, like teams that I've been a part of, where we've had success against South African teams, whether it be South Africa or Super Rugby teams, um, is you have to beat them in that physicality department and. Um, you know the forwards that the All Blacks have got at the moment are more than capable of doing it. It's just whether they actually turn up and do it. Um, if you can beat them there and then take away the set piece, um, so don't allow them the opportunities to get their mall going, uh, which then they get into the kicking game off. And um, if you can limit the opportunities there um, and come up with a good plan, just how to upset them and um, slow that momentum down um, those two things there go a long way to actually stopping the South African style of play Just finally mate um, uh, on, a, on a, a local note on a, a more personal note here uh, what's your favourite cut off the pig what, what do you do with it um, and you know what's your preferred item <clears throat> Actually with the old wild pigs they're pretty um, uh, hit and miss whether they're actually any good or not um, I've, I've, I've found but uh, the one thing I do like to do with them is uh, get the uh, legs turned into ham um, wild pork ham is uh, is really top notch and um, yeah it's um, if you ever get your hand on one smoothie I'd say uh, take it to a butcher and um, get a couple of legs ham because they're uh, outstanding Good on you Luke hey, Pleasure chatting to you man Please the, the... The hunt was successful for you. Uh, look forward to Canterbury against uh, Southland in the weekend and the All Blacks against the Springboks. I'm sure you'll be uh, heavily involved in one and watching the other one very closely. Thanks for your time this morning, mate. Uh, enjoy your day off. Yeah, no, awesome. Cheers, mate.
Cheers, Luke Romano there, folks. Uh, uh, pretty raw bone, tough character on the field. Um, can, you know, and definitely, definitely a passionate Cantab. Um, you couldn't even take the boy out of Canterbury in the case of Luke Romano. So there you go. Um, uh, it's 11.15. Like your your uh, thoughts now, perhaps on uh, your locking combination. Are they going to be obvious with their choice there? Who do you think they'll start at, at lock? Any surprises at all, uh, or could you pick the All Black fifteen now on what you've seen? Bearing in mind, just saying uh, that they're all fit. Double eight, double three is the text number. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, great news actually. We do, I do get stuck in a little bit to the white ferns because I feel as if uh, you know we should. I mean, women's sport is very, very serious, um, and that cannot be denied. Which means um, they're up for judgment, and their record has not been that good of late. But really good news overnight that they have kept the five-match uh, one-day series against England alive with a three-wicket win in Game Three in Leicester. That was on the back of. Uh, what was uh, possibly considered as a terrorist threat. But in the end, they prevailed, uh, which is the best news of all. Leah Tahutu took five for 37 uh, as England uh, tried to recover from 101 uh, for eight to post 178 all out in the 49th over. And then the run chase the run chase was pretty smooth in the end, winning by 25 balls, which uh, means you're in control a long way out. And one of the star performers was Maddie Green. Yeah, I think we sort of just talked about in the last couple of games, just um, as a top order, someone taking responsibility and making sure that we um, batted through and, and took the game right to the end um, if we had to. And I think for me, I got myself in and therefore my job was to, to play that role and just sort of go as long as I could. And um, yeah, I think, you know, our bowlers have been going so well. Um, obviously, Leah today was outstanding, but I think our bowling unit throughout the series has been great. So it's just nice um, to get the win for, for the bowlers because they've been they've been going so well yeah that's a particularly an important performance from Maddie Green so often in run chases or when we bat well we talk about Divine we talk about Bates or Satterthwaite uh, but on this particular occasion it was Maddie Green with her 70 not out uh, which was the match winning performance so uh, good news there that was uh, coming through uh, interesting news coming through also from uh, the UK where Winston Reid uh, has been allowed to leave West Ham and they've parted on very good terms after 11 years, yeah, 11 years. Um, and uh, on behalf of West Ham, they said, the people said, uh, look, we express our gratitude for the commitment, dedication and loyalty which Reed has shown the club since 2010 and wish him and his family all the very best. Uh, and Winston Reed had this to say. You know, I've always tried to give my best and, you know, the fans are there to, you know, to back the players up and the players are there to... You know, to give something back to the fans as well. Um, you know, at the end of the day, that's you know, when you're when you're a footballer, that's that's what you enjoy the most is going out there and playing in front of, in front of a lot of fans. Um, so over the years, that's what I've enjoyed the most. You know, playing from fans, for your teammates, you know, for your coaches, and you know, for your family. So, just want to say thank you and wish you guys all the best in the future. So extremely good terms that they've parted on, and that that is not always the case when it comes to football deals and football contracts, but. Uh, he's done well for West Ham, and he's done well out of West Ham. There's no doubt about it. He's set himself up nicely for the future. And we're, we're, we're talking, uh, not trying to really, but we're sort of talking like it's the end. Uh, but it's not the end. He's 33 years of age, and uh, 
uh, he could end up somewhere else. We'll, we'll wait and see. He might uh, might or not get a, a premiership gig, but he, he might be championship bound or he might uh, head to somewhere else uh, around Europe. Um, wouldn't it be great if we could afford the bickies to get him back here? But uh, I doubt whether that is very much uh, the case. So, um, yeah, John Winston-Reed, uh, your take on that? Yeah, well, he just hasn't played for them, has he, for just years. The injury problems have plagued him, and he started off so well at West Ham, and he was a big, big player for them. Captain, I think, for a while for the Hammers, which is pretty amazing for a big London club like that, for a Kiwi boy um, who came out of nowhere, really, and burst onto the stage in 2010, but we just haven't seen him. Smithy, and then of course he was loaned to the MLS, I think, last year, and then he was loaned to the Brentford Bees and helped them got promoted uh, at the end of last season. So maybe the Bees would want him uh, in the Premier League. But does he come with a hefty price tag here, Smithy? Um, West Ham letting him go. Uh, will he still have a massive uh, transfer fee attached to him, or will someone be able to get Winston Reid on a bargain price? Because when he signed that West Ham deal, uh, that really long deal, it was a huge deal in terms of money. He's certainly not worth anything near what he signed on for at West Ham now. Do they have to sell him on to make a profit, or are they happy just to let him go maybe on a free? Look, I don't know. It's a free. It's fantastic for him. Uh, and after 11 years, you might assume... Uh, that might be good enough. I know in, in English cricket, you get a testimonial year after 10, which is basically what you earn uh, is yours to keep uh, from anything around the club, etc. Um, and, and I would imagine that uh, they've talked about that as part of the settlement. They certainly wouldn't want to completely do all their dough out of it because, as you say, it was very lucrative when he signed on. But um, look, I would, I would hope, I would hope um, that both parties do, do well out of it. But if it's a free trade, um, then it's, it's very, very good uh, for Winston Reid. Uh, the other uh, interesting issue um, that we, we should talk about is this uh, Ramiz Raja comment. Uh, and there's hate in that. And it's hate. That's not the Ramiz Raja that I know as a fellow commentator and even as an opponent, but this is how deep it runs uh, in, Pakistan, in the blood of Pakistanis. We go in the World Cup now, and where we had one team in our, our target, in other words, our sights, our neighbours India, and that is always the case. That that will never ever be anything apart from bitter. The rivalry uh, on and off the field in anything between India and Pakistan will never change. Uh, they now add two more teams to that list: New Zealand and England. So pick up the strength and develop a mindset that we are not going to lose because you didn't do right by us with us, and we will avenge that in the ground. Hmm. Ah. Uh, now, you know, there's a man who, who's, uh, of course, been under pressure to deliver a product, which is a test, an international series of cricket, uh, and two or three months of international cricket against England and New Zealand. Both the uh, women's team as well, the English women's team has been withdrawn, and Pakistan just trying to develop a, a women's team, which is great for world cricket, and so they've been handicapped in that department as well. Uh, and the far-reaching thing of this is, when will someone go? Now, what are the odds on Australia going now? Um, pretty small. I'd be thinking pretty small at the moment. They will be in discussions uh, with England and New Zealand as to what happened and why uh, to base their decision around. They'll also be in discussions uh, with Pakistan, and we know what Pakistan will say. Look, it's safe to come. We guarantee Imran Khan saying we have got one of the most up-to-date security systems in the world. Uh, we are ready to combat anything of this nature. But the, fear, the mere fact that you have to say that, that you have to keep reinforcing it, I think is part of the problem. 
the, the uncertainty is always there. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely, Smithy. Um, yeah, and you've got to trust your own intelligence. It's all good for another country saying it's sweet, but we've got our own intelligence uh, and everything. And they asking for a you know vengeance on the field. This is fighting talk, mm. and maybe that's the way Pakistan always talk because they're so used to it with India. But it, this is us here in New Zealand hearing the the Pakistan Cricket Board chairman Ramis Raja saying they will avenge what's happened on the ground. Um, that really, uh, that's talk we're not used to hearing. Like, we love a bit of banter with South Africa and Australia, and it's all pretty fun stuff, and, oh, yeah, we'll beat you up on the field. And just heard from Luke Romano, after the game, you have beers in the changing sheds. Well, hmm. this doesn't sound like, uh, you know, I don't think Pakistan have beers anyway, but I don't think uh, they're going to have cups of tea uh, in the changing sheds with the Black Caps anytime soon, not at this World T20 coming up. And it just, again, makes me nervous, like I said a couple of days ago, just that this is feeding back into the Pakistan people who are upset England's not there, upset New Zealand's not there. They hear a guy who's in a privileged position and a leadership position coming up with this fighting talk. It's only going to feed the anger of the people so, and make it probably longer before we go back. Isn't it in Ramiz Raj's best interest to smooth this out, to make sure the people aren't angry so when we do go back, Hopefully there won't be any uh, threats or any kind, Smithy. It's time to make peace, isn't it? Not war. Well, he's hurting. He's hurting. He hasn't been able to deliver what uh, his country wanted him to deliver. That was his role, to make sure that that happened. And he has not been able to do that. So he's hurting. And because of that, um, he is uh, responding in that way. And, and also, um, I think anyone that knows Ramiz Raja and deals with him at the highest level know that uh, that, they know that, and I'll just give them time, I'll give them a bit of time, but the Australian decision maybe will be the coup de grace, because if you take New Zealand, uh, Australia, England out of the equation, and you really don't want uh, India on your shores anyway, there ain't a lot left, there is not a lot left in the world of cricket. Um, look, I don't mind a bit of competition, uh, on the field or off it, or even on the phone, so give us a go, uh, it's time to stump Smithy, uh, it's around 11.30 here on SENZ, 50 bucks. 50 bucks with a TAB vouchers up for grabs. Good luck. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. It's that time of the day when the phones light up because people want 50 bucks from the TAB, which they kindly give up every day uh, at this time after the 11.30 news. And we go to the South Island today in Red and Black Territory. Jared, g'day, mate. G'day, John. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How is life in the Garden City? Oh, living the dream. Living the dream. Excellent. Love the positivity. Uh, you know how the game works. You get three sporting categories. You choose one, get three questions right. 50 bucks from the TAB is yours, but get a question wrong and Smithy will stump you. You ready to go? No awesome. Cool. Your sports today are golf, basketball and soccer football. What are you going to go for? Uh, I'm a golfer, so I've got to go golf. Nice, nice. How do you go around the course? Which is which is your local? No, have you dropped off? Are you playing at the moment? Is Jared? Is Jared dropped off? Has he lost his opportunity? He may well have. That's a damn shame, Smithy. I'm sure you would have enjoyed golf questions. Yeah. Well, um, well it's a shame for, for Jared as well. I, we just give him another second or two to. To see if we've re- relocated them. Hey, yeah, be, um, see if we can have a mulligan, Smithy. Go yeah, again. A mulligan. Okay. All right, Jared, are you there, mate? 
I certainly am. Oh, all right. Oh, I thought we lost you in the trees, mate, but we've found our ball and we will play on. No penalty <laughs> stroke. No penalty stroke. Let's no go. Stroke. Excellent, Jared. What handicap do you play off? That's what I was trying to ask you. And where do you play? Uh, I'm, on, I'm on a 15 at the moment uh, at Open Dog Golf Course. Oh, nice, very nice, very nice. Smithy, what do you play off handicap-wise? Um, off 11 at the moment oh. and a very rough 11 at that. And I can't, Jared, understand the bloody handicapping system. It gets up my nose. I've had, had, I haven't broken um, 90. I haven't broken 90 for about six, six rounds of golf, which is around about a month and a bit. But still, my handicap is unaltered. I just do not get. Should not the handicapping system be revolved about your ability to play the game at any one time? I'm just saying. Let's move on. At least it yeah. doesn't get to me. <laughs> Sounds like Smithy's had to pay a lot of beers to his mates after the rounds lately because his handicap's yeah, so low. I, I think I'll be, I better come up to the bay and have a game with Smithy. I think. Yeah, yeah. Get, get, get him while he's vulnerable. Anyway, first question for golf, Jared from Christchurch. Name the only non-American player to win a major in 2019. Oh, 2019. Ooh, a couple 2019. of years ago. Yeah. Uh, 2019. COVID does funny things Sergio with your brain. Sergio Garcia, the master. One of the worst things I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. Not mm. Sergio. Smithy, a chance for a stumping. Yeah, has, uh, I'm, I'm not good on the, I, was, I, ha, I had it, you know, on the tip of my tongue, it was going to be uh, Hideki Matsuyama, of course, but you went and put 2019 on us. I did. Um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a punt here, and uh, I'm going to go, uh, against my best judgment, I'm going to go for Rory. He's got him, he's out caught. No, Smithy, that is not correct. Shane Lowry at the Open Championship oh, in 2019. Of course, of course. He was the champion Lord. there. So you're still alive, Jared. Question number two. The 11th, 12th, and 13th holes at Augusta National are collectively known by what nickname? Amen Corner. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, Smithy's throwing his clubs into the pond. He's not happy. <laughs> oh, classic. Oh. <laughs> this is good stuff, Jared. This for the 50 bucks from the TAV. You might have to go well back into the history books here, but who racked up a stunning 18 wins on the PGA Tour in 1945? 1945. Ben Hogan? Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. That is not correct. Smithy, an opportunity. i got I got two names in mind here. <clears throat> One is Slammin' Sam Sneed, uh, who, of course, is 82 or 83, and that's um, where, where Tiger sits at the moment. So you would have had to, you think, have a great run to do that at some point. Um, but I'm going to go for the Admiral, Byron Nelson. How do I look, John? Give me some good news. All the way up into the stand. What a hit into the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. Smither, you have flushed that off the tee with the driver. It is Byron Nelson. So unlucky, Jared. Oh. You've come unstuck on the right. 18th hole. Look, and I'll tell you what we'll do, John. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we'll do for you, Jared. You're a good bugger by the sound of it. You know, an honest 15 handicapper. I think that, that puts you in the honest bracket. So I'm prepared to pay out, John. You can have a board oh, decision up, uh, up there and there oh. in the studio. But I'm, 
Uh, whilst I'll take the, I'll take the, the shot. I'll take the win. Uh, I, I think we should just give the vouchers. Give the vouchers to Jared. Yeah, I, I like the sound of Jared as well. He's a good bugger oh, from the South Island. So good on rock. you, Jared. Oh, you're a good. <laughs> hey, uh, Smithy, isn't your son's name Jared? By the way, it is. It is. It's, and that's not the reason you won. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Good on you. Hey, Jer- Jer- Jared, stay on the line, man. Stay on the line. Uh, uh, and uh, the boys will take your details and, uh, and invest wisely. And uh, good luck getting that handicap up or down, whichever hey, way you uh, want to th- trend, mate. Thanks very much, Billy. You're a good Thank- sport, mate. And uh, hey, great to uh, listen to you on your new show. You're, you're a bloody champion. Thank you. Appreciate that, Jared. Uh, thanks for taking part. And thanks for all those people that called up as well. Another opportunity, of course, uh, to win tomorrow being... Thursday, 11.39 here on SENZ. We're going to go funny shortly. Going to go funny with Andrew Clay. We get very patriotic, don't we? We get all excited about it. I don't know if you can cast your minds back to the World Cup rugby, the semi-final, uh, England versus New Zealand, the John Olomu try. Uh, the commentary went something like this. Olomu's regathered. He's round Underwood. He's, he's, oh, oh, oh. That was it. He played it back. That's what he, there's a man who enjoys his football. Iconic commentary, iconic comedy, really, uh, as we're joined by Andrew Clay this morning, one of uh, New Zealand's best-known comedians. He's been around for a, a couple of decades now. Andrew, thanks for giving us some time this morning. We know you're a comedian, but what we, we, a lot of us wouldn't realise, you're a very high-level and successful football coach as well. Tell us how you got into football. Well, I've been play, playing football since I was a wee person, and then... Uh, Around the mid-90s, I had that realisation that um, I wasn't going to be a great player. Plus, I snapped my cruciate ligament, and that was uh, time to get in coaching my nephew. And it went from there to coaching through the grades and then coaching uh, senior men's teams and then uh, senior women's teams. Um, so I've been coaching senior women's for about uh, four, 14 or 15 years now. So um, oh, probably about half the, the ferns at the Olympics I've coached at some point there. But I, oh. I, was, I was listening to that to the, that comedy before you brought me on, and I thought, that sounds familiar. I didn't realise it was me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I'm thinking, who's that? Who's that? I, did a bit, I used to do a bit like this. Oh, hang on, it is me. It's me. Yeah, yeah, that's me. That was quite weird, that. I'm listening to myself, not recognising me. Because it's actually not two oh, decades. It's actually three decades. Three decades of comedy. Oh. 32 years I'll be doing comedy. I think, I was, I think when I started Man. comedy, you were still playing, probably. That's, that's how long it's been. Hey. That, and that ain't funny. That's not even funny. <laughs> hey, he's, he's, tell us about your style of coaching. Are you a fist slapper? Are you a very silent man behind the scenes, a strategist? Oh, listen, I'm. Um, well, I, you know, I probably excel in the in the in the man management or player management side of it. I remember years ago when I, I had coached a junior a junior team. And um, one of the one of the kids uh, said, "My parent, my my dad said you you used to be famous or you used to be funny." I said, "Why aren't you funny at training?" I said, "You, you give me nothing to laugh about, nothing at all." But with the with the um, <laughs> with the senior players, yeah, yeah, banter's big. We do a lot of banter, but um, it's a lot of a lot of like you'll know yourself probably from being around elite teams. A lot of it's um, empowering the players to come up with. Solutions themselves, guide the discovery for younger players, giving them some scaffolding, some ideas, and then still getting them to solve the problems. It's not particularly dictatorial, you know, these days, except you know maybe at a half time where you have to be prescriptive and tell players, okay, we have to do this now. But overall, we 
we um, you know we let the players try to help them come to the solutions you know that we think are best. And particularly, and I coach you know on the female side of the game, they're they're very good at doing that. When you've got uh, decent quality players, they're good at coming up with solutions. You can guide them; they'll find the solutions themselves to a problem. So yeah, berating and screaming and yelling used to you know used to be around when I was a player in the men's game. And even my first few years of coaching senior men's, it was if you're losing at halftime, everyone got an ear bashing. But that that even that's going now, and I certainly don't do that um, these days. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Andrew, we have a, a fellow working at this uh, stage, uh, station uh, by the name of Ricardo Ball. You may well have heard of him, and he uh, he has a Manchester. Un- yes, you know, you know, you know, he's got a Manchester United uh, tattoo on one of his calves. To what length Why? would you go to? What to what length would you go to for Tottenham Hotspur? Well, you know, I'd travel around the world. I mean, I, I, if I could, I mean, I'd go, to, I'd go to the new stadium in a heartbeat if I could. I'm not sure if I'd um, tattoo anything. Maybe if they won the title after many, many decades, if they won a, a Champions League. Uh, you know, it was, it was <laughs> me sneaking out to watch the Champions League final. Um, I was on holiday with my partner. It was, it was that kind of killed a year relationship. That, that was like the last straw that I snuck out of bed to go into a pub to watch. Uh, we were in Queenstown on holiday, and I went to watch Liverpool um, Spurs Champions League final. So I've kind of ended a relationship over Spurs. Well, you know, that wasn't the only problem we had, but that kind of that kind of helped end it. We were on holiday, uh, uh, yeah, but Spurs were the Champions League. Have been I, watch. I wish I had now. It was terrible, but I wish I had. I was going to say, you'd have, you'd have really, uh, and they were really upset. You what upset you the most? The broken relationship with the fact Spurs got beat. Oh well, you know. Well, I think we know the answer to that at, at that particular morning. What the answer to that was, uh, Ian. Don't, don't, think it, uh, don't make me articulate it. So we know what was most upsetting <laughs> at the time. Oh, <laughs> at the mate. time, anyway. I, at the time. Yep. You're a boxing man too. Who's your favourite boxer of all time, and why? Oh, it's Muhammad Ali. It's got to be Muhammad Ali. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a new there's a new documentary coming out about him as well. And I just, you know, like most people, I've been binging on the documentaries. And I just watched a very interesting documentary about his relationship with Malcolm X, uh, which has just come out on Netflix. So I, I do recommend that to people. Um, I did have one fight uh, way back about 20 years ago, um, and, and I won that. I, I um, fight for life. I, I you'll know who I fought. I fought Chris Myrams. Oh, of course, of course you did, Christopher Myrams, that that um, yeah. that highly skilled, dedicated middleweight from the media. <laughs> I remember him well. Uh, he had he had about he had about nine kilos on me as well. But Dean Lonigan organisers didn't care about that. He just chucked me in there. But I'm from an athletics background, so I was super fit, and I just was fitter than him. That's all it was. I just, it was an ugly fight, but I was fitter than him. But what what happened was in the lead up to that fight, I got. Um, trained by a guy called Cameron Todd, who was a guy that discovered David Tua. And he chucked me, and I was sparring against the New Zealand amateur heavyweight champion. I was sparring against a guy called Anthony Pacini, who was ranked fourth in the world mm. cruiserweight. So I got chucked in with some guns that were way too good for me. And they're all, they're, all nice and, um, they're all nice and friendly until you accidentally pop them, and then it's all on. Once you pop them, hit them one, they go, oh, okay, and they start to tee off on you. And... Uh, yeah, so by the time I got to the fight, I was I wasn't too worried because I I fought these guys that were, yeah. But I, I retired. I retired. Keep my to keep my looks in. I retired. Keep my looks. 
didn't want to, you know. And you need them. You need them as a stand-up comedian, of course. You need looks of some kind, anyway. Uh, hey, look, lockdown's been frustrating, Andrew, for all of us, uh, of course. But yeah. for you guys that you know want to get get out and about. Um, what do you see the prospects are? What, what have you got lined up? Well, so I, I coach in the, in the um, I co-coach Northern Rovers uh, Premier Women's Team, and of course, our, our, we got through most of our season. We, we the last two games got have got cancelled, and all the all the regional Northern Football, as everyone probably knows, has got cancelled. So, but they were it was eighteen games we got through, so we were able to. We didn't win it, but there was it was the, it was the standings were reasonably clear. Now, what we're hanging on for now is there's a, the National Women's League, which we've qualified for, and that's Northern Rovers, Eastern Suburbs, Western Springs, and and, and uh, Hamilton Wanderers are playing against teams from Christchurch and Wellington and uh, the Central Region and, and Otago, um, and it's touch and go. Like if we get an, uh, if, if level three gets extended out by another week or two, the National League, which has already been cut in half, was supposed to be 14 games, now it's going to be seven, won't get to be played. So we're fingers crossing our fingers and our toes that that the level three doesn't get extended too much beyond two more weeks because another maybe two more weeks and we'll have to cancel that so we're hoping we get to play that um you know the final would be like a week before christmas but we're hoping to get to play that because that's exciting for the players and something that they're really looking forward to andrew clay thanks so much for your time this morning uh good luck uh with the football uh good luck with the comedy and uh it was it was nice to catch up and yeah uh, get a little yeah, insight in, into what you're up to hey cheers andrew clay cheers, there, folks uh, he was part of uh, no joke for sport this week uh, we're going to go uh, very quickly to a break. I can tell, preempt it by saying uh, listen to the news at 12 with Trudy because there has been an earthquake in Victoria, quite a sizable one in Victoria as well. Doesn't look that good to be flash, so Trudy will have the details at 12, so stay listening. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just two minutes to 12, uh, so business, uh, we better get down to business, Mark Stafford, and uh, just tell us a, a little bit about uh, your show this afternoon, because um, I was riveted uh, yesterday, I loved, I loved your, your chat, I loved your chat, uh, uh, the movie uh, was just fantastic, it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, with Brian Fogel, the filmmaker that brought mm. us Icarus, uh, just... I just felt so lucky that he said yes, he'd come and talk to us. And when he arrived in his little home office, he said, oh, how long is this going to take? And I thought, oh, no, I'm only going to get about three minutes. And I said, oh, how long have you got? And he says, oh, 25 minutes. <laughs> I was just like, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, mm. so we've packaged that up into one podcast on the SCN app. And um, fascinating, fascinating to get a guy of that ilk to come on the show. It was, it was brilliant, Smithy. I loved it. What do you got today, mate? Today, um, we're actually just in the process of organising someone from the SEN office in Melbourne, Smithy. As you've mentioned, uh, they've just had a really big earthquake there, so we're going to try and get an immediate reaction from one of our colleagues that's in the office over there, just about the size and the magnitude of it and how scary it was. Because earthquakes in Australia don't tend to go together, do they? You, you, you don't generally no. hear about You hear about great white attacks and uh, jellyfish poisonings, mm. but not earthquakes. Uh, also on the show, uh, later on, we're going to have Jodie Brown, the former silver. Silver Fern. Uh, we'll have a Silver Fern on every day this week. Um, so just to get her take on it, she's part of the commentary team. Also, David Dome out of the Phoenix. Uh, a whole year ahead, over based in Australia. And we'll touch on the women's team that he's introduced as well. Uh, Chris Pyle, former Liverpool goalkeeper, who was there in the Heisel disaster. We talked Premier League with him and our coaching guru Wayne Goldsmith. Fantastic. Thanks, Trudy.
Thanks. Listen to Trudy now with an update, please, uh, on that earthquake. Thanks to Brian. Uh, thanks to JD. Thanks to everyone for taking part in the show today. Takitiano.